0: Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. Pastor John Mark Caton continues our series today, Knowledge is Power, as he answers the question, why is the Bible more than just a book? Now, let's hear from Pastor John Mark.
1: All right, man, good seeing you guys today. Not only will I be teaching out of the Bible, I'll be teaching uh, the Bible. uh, As we've been in this series, uh, uh, Knowledge is Power. Just wanted to talk to you Uh, today on the idea, talk about God and uh, Christ and the Holy Spirit. We're looking at all of those things. Uh, Today I want to talk to you about uh, the Bible and really kind of answer the question, why do we believe the Bible is more than just another book? Why do we believe the Bible is more than just a popular book? Why do we believe the Bible is uh, more special than any other book? And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, Many of you know this, but let's go ahead and look to 2 Timothy and and really see what uh, Paul, in writing to Timothy, says uh, about the Bible and really talking about Timothy's ministry. Kind of sets this whole idea up uh, of what uh, uh, what is so special about the Bible and why should we always, always, always look to it for the answers here's what Paul says uh, to Timothy he says but as for you talking to Timothy he says continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it in other words he goes listen continue in what you've learned because you know the people the lives uh their mindsets of those who taught it to you look at verse 15. And how from infancy, from birth, early on in your life, you have known the Holy Scriptures. Well, why is that so important? That you have known from infancy the Holy Scriptures? Well, let's continue to read on. Which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so Paul says, listen, Timothy, don't ever forget what you become convinced of. Don't ever doubt what you've been taught. Don't ever question what you've heard from infancy, because it taught you in such a way that it led you to salvation, it gives you confidence for the day, plus you know who you learned it from. Man, if you think about what Dave does, and uh, our children's ministry, sitting back there, and and what all, we want to make sure we do, we invest God's Word, we teach God's Word uh, into the kids' lives. Now, as we continue to move on, notice what it says, Verse 16. All Scripture, everybody say all Scripture, scripture. is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now, that's a lot. It's that last phrase that a lot of people will say, well, you know, the Bible is an important book. It's uh, a widespread book. If if you look uh, throughout the history of the world, it is by far, not even close, uh, the number one bestseller of all time. But here's why it's so special because paul says all scripture every bit of it is god breathed it is inspired it was revealed to us through men who were inspired by god That's what makes it useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So uh, if you just want to write this down somewhere, if you look at that, if you go translate that word all, it means all. It means Genesis to Revelation. First word to the amen in the end. That's what it says. Now, you say, Paul, that's a bold statement. If you are looking at these 66 books, I'll tell you a little bit more about the Bible here in a second. And you say, all of it? Is God breathed? But, Paul, there are are things that we know about the Bible. It was written over literally centuries, 16 to be exact. As a matter of fact, uh, Paul, there are manuscripts that we have found that have discrepancies in them. That, 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 that there are manuscripts that we have found that have misspelled words in them. So then how can you actually say that all scripture is god breathed? So that's kind of what I, what I want to talk to you about today is you say, guys, how do we deal with that? How do we settle with the fact that all Scripture is God-breathed, and that simply means God-breathed means God expired these words through human authors to write. Now, He allowed their personalities, their timing, uh, their context, their situation to flow through the message they share with us in, in Genesis to Revelation. But there is a reality that Paul just makes a bold claim. He doesn't say most of it. He doesn't say a lot of it. He says all of it. But then you have this idea, and someone could stand up or talk to you at the office around the coffee pot today, wherever you are, uh, then they will say, but but aren't there discrepancies in the Bible? Aren't there discrepancies in some of the manuscripts? And you would have to say, yes, there are. Well, then how can you claim it's all God-breathed? Well, that's what I want to talk to you about today. And so let me just give you a couple of thoughts. Uh, First of all, when we think about this idea, there's some internal internal evidence when you look in God's Word uh, that it is, in fact, God's Word. And and number one, when you look at all from Genesis to Revelation, when you think about the authors of Moses and Genesis all the way to John and Revelation, uh, there are some things that tell us that the Bible is important because all of the writers were eyewitnesses to what they had written about, or they spent most of their life with those who were eyewitnesses to what they wrote about. Uh, it, 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 there's a guy named Frank Turk. How many of you ever heard Frank Turk when he came, comes here? Uh, he, go, he loves to go to college campuses and field questions uh, from atheists, agnostics, people who are doubters, people who are skeptics. And so let me just show you one question that he got on the floor about God's word and listen to Frank's response. Another thing that you mentioned too is um, the, the, you know, they start
0: writing down down, Revelation, not Revelation, but you're not writing down the New Testament. Right. But from my understanding, um, Matthew Mark, Matthew Mark, uh, started, writing started writing many years, years after many the years of after the ascension of Jesus. You know, when a crime is taking when place, a crime taken place, you know, whenever there are witnesses, you know, there are witnesses to come, come you know,
1: know at know, him know, as, as soon as, as possible. As because as over possible. time, so you forget things, forget you know, certain things you know, start to, you know, become be more, more additional to your memory. To your memory, memory and you start
0: losing things. You're holding the score. So do you feel like, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 years after the ascension of Jesus, Jesus, the New Testament writing, right how I think it was like, 320 or 350 oh no no now no. You're, you're, you're 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 talking about, you're, you're talking about when about church councils was changing like, like, the, constantine, the, the, constantine,
1: the constantine had nothing
0: to do with what was, do, what was in the bible the the the, the, point the point is is that the, the new testament, testament, the new testament documents, were documents, documents were written down in the 1st century. 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 century within we the lifetime of the because most of them were and so, and so, I think you can show I that beyond you know, any reasonable doubt. I couldn't go without, through all the data but here. But even elements of the New Testament, Testament like, 1 like 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 to 8, 8 which is an ancient, ancient, ancient creed that tells you that tells what Jesus, Jesus did, like that he actually rose from the dead and he appeared to many people, to many people including people, over five footings, over Paul says, many are still alive, but some have died. That creed right there, even atheist even scholars atheist agree goes all the way back to the resurrection, itself, the resurrection itself between months to, say, three years after the resurrection. the resurrection. That creed is that too creed early, to so early to be legendary. And that creed finds its way into First Corinthians in 55 AD when Paul writes it. Right yeah. But it existed, it existed long prior to that as even right people, people like Arturian people, atheist who teaches at UNC Chapel Hill, he's not a fan of Christianity. And he says, look, that creed is early. Very early. So you have data that is later written down in the New Testament that's very, very early. It might be like if you interviewed somebody uh, who was there 20 years ago and uh, gives you all this data that they have for 20 years and then you put it in a letter you're writing. That's still good data from 20 years ago. Just because you write it down doesn't make it 20 years old. It'll still come it's still coming from the source. And that's the kind of stuff that's happened in the New Testament. In fact, Gary Habermas University has identified 41 creeds in the New Testament. That's probably the most famous, the most famous one. 1 First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15.
1: All right, so you see the question, you know, wasn't this written a long time ago, and and man, way after, and how do we know there are faulty, not faulty memories and faulty ideas? And so he addresses one of those. He says, listen, much of what we know as we look in the New Testament, even in the Old Testament, man, they were eyewitness accounts, There were early things, There were creed is something that was stated over and over again, that then Paul just reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15 of what it is, that Jesus rose from the dead, he encountered Hundreds of people who saw and encountered a resurrection Christ. So it's over and over again uh, that we see that. Now, let me tell you some interesting things you may not have known about the Bible. The Bible was written over 1600 years, written by 40 different authors who wrote 66 books from every different walk of life. Now, if that were not enough, listen to some of the occupations of the authors of those 66 books in the Bible. You had a politician, you had a reluctant leader, you had a soldier, you had a cupbearer, you had a shepherd, you had a king, you also had a slave, you had one guy that was a prime minister when he wrote, you had a herdsman, you had a prophet, you had a doctor, you had a rabbi, you had a Pharisee, and you had a fisherman. So if you look at all the writers in the book of, uh, uh, in the Bible, man, there are a lot of different occupations that were represented in writing the Bible that were not enough. Uh, What about where things were written. Moses was in the wilderness. Jeremiah was in a dungeon. Daniel was in Babylon, uh, on, and then ultimately on a hillside and in a palace. Uh, Paul wrote even from a prison cell. John was banished to the island of Patmos. Joshua wrote in the rigors of a military campaign. David wrote during wartime. Solomon wrote in the midst of prosperity and peace. So all different times, all different places, all kinds of jobs, all kinds of authors, all wrote this one book that we refer to as the Bible. It was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, who spoke 16 different languages. The languages of the Bible uh, were, were written in three different languages, Hebrew, Aramaic, as well as Greek. All the way from Genesis to Revelation, there is one hero, the Messiah, one villain, Satan, one problem, sin, One purpose, salvation. The conclusion, when you look at this book that you and I hold, that you and I read, that you and I look at, written over 1,600 years by so many different authors on different continents who had different jobs, it is is amazing even to literary geniuses that actually when you look at Genesis to Revelation, the harmony in the Bible is overwhelming. That you can just track the reality that there's one problem from Genesis 3 to Revelation, and it's sin. There's, there's one hero, this one that is consistently referred to as either the Messiah or the Savior, depending on whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament. And all of this allows us just to sit here and read this document. So what I want to do today when we think about the Bible, I just want to ask a couple of questions about the Bible and hopefully answer them for you. And you might want to take some notes. so You can listen to this later on the podcast. Here's question number one. When we think about the Bible... And Paul said, all Scripture is inspired by God. A lot of times we use the word revelation. You say, what is revelation? Here's the definition of revelation. It means that God revealed Himself to mankind through other men. That just means God, that's what revelation is, is God revealing Himself to mankind Through other men. If you didn't know this, you might want to just take note of this. There are two types of revelation. Everybody say two. One is general revelation. You say, Pastor, what is general revelation? It is revelation that you and I can know about God that is available to everyone. Somebody give me an example of general revelation. Creation Creation of the world. Yeah, creation of the world. Uh, we can all walk out today and we will all see the sun. How many of you know that? Everybody can see creation. You can go see the mountains. You can go see the oceans. You can go see everybody tonight. Man, we can stand up and we can look, depending on where it's, Texas. Never know if you're going to have a hell storm or you're going to get to see the stars. We can all look at that. You can look at creation. We can study um, the of that is part of the universe man scientists can tell us how exact our universe is and how special it is and how other scientists can dig <clears throat> into the very core of the cell in our dna and our body and say man this didn't happen by chance and that is what is referred to as general revelation look at what the psalmist said in psalm 8 verse 3 he says when i consider your heavens the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in the place. What is he saying? Man, the psalmist is saying, when I look at nature, I see a creator. And it doesn't matter whether you are in America or on the other side of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian. It doesn't matter whether you're a Muslim, a Hindu, or a Baptist. General revelation is available to everyone. Now, I also want you to know, not only is general revelation available to everyone with our eyes or with our senses, general revelation is also available to everyone in our conscience. That every person, it doesn't matter where you are, every society, it doesn't matter where you are, everyone has a conscience. I love what Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 15. When you think about general revelation we're talking about, we're going to get back to specific revelation. Here's what Paul said. Since they show that the requirements of the law are written in their hearts, their consciences also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing and now even defending. What is Paul saying? He is talking about Gentiles who have never read a Bible or the Old Testament. And what Paul is saying is that even they know through their conscience that which is right and that which is wrong. If you go read the whole passage, he says, you know what, even a Gentile who didn't grow up, didn't go uh, uh, to the synagogues to hear the uh, rabbis speak, didn't grow up in the temple, doesn't know anything about God's Word. Even a Gentile has a conscience that when they do something good, their conscience affirms them. When they do something bad, their conscience condemns them. And so I want you to know, Paul even says, not only does everybody have general revelation that you can see and that you can touch and that you can look at, and that you can objectively and scientifically uh, test, but every one of us has a conscience. It, everybody that you walk up to today, whether they go to church or not, they've all got a conscience. That, that, that is why we say, and oftentimes, that one of the greatest arguments for, um, uh, for the reality, there is a God that exists, is the idea of the universal good and the universal bad. If all we did was evolve from some primordial soup, why do we all, doesn't matter where you are, have a moral sense of this is right and this is wrong? See, a lot of people will say, well, you know, with all this evil in the world, there couldn't be a good God. Hey, hey, flip that around. I will tell you, there's way more good in this world than evil. That's why evil stands out. But if you're going to say, because there's evil, there is no God, you've really got to flip it over and say, then because there is a lot of good, there's a higher likelihood there's a God. And so what Paul is saying, listen, anyone and everyone you walk up to and talk to today, whether they're saved or not, God created within their heart a conscience and so that's general revelation man the universe and the universal conscience but there's also special revelation you say pastor what is special revelation well one is Jesus Christ everybody say Jesus look at what it said in John chapter 1 verse 14 here's what John said talking about Jesus as a special revelation The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So when God sent Jesus to Bethlehem, He was special revelation. In that moment, in that season, for those 33 years, if you met Jesus, you met God. If you saw Jesus, you saw God. Now, He's God wrapped in human flesh, but He was ultimately God. So when you think about general revelation, it is the universe, it's your conscience. Special revelation, it is Jesus and the second source of special revelation. Is that what you hold in your hands? It's called the Bible. It is this all Scripture that is inspired by God. And profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Man, that is special revelation. Uh, I love what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 24. He says, For all men are like grass, and all their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word of the Lord that is preached to you. And so notice that last phrase. Guys, if, if you are going to spend time in a church, make sure that whoever is teaching you, if God transfers you and takes you someplace else, make sure the man or the person who teaches you is preaching from the Word of God. Because it is the only thing that doesn't fade. It is the only thing that doesn't change. I love to bring, just because I love math, I love statistics, I will always try to bring some. Here, I just read this survey, I read this article, I read this. How many of you know, if God leaves me around 20 more years, the statistics I read for you today will be different 20 years from now? But just as I said Sunday, God's Word won't change a lick. See, a lot of times, and I just shared this just a little bit uh, Sunday, because, you know, we're not in political season, but we're headed towards what? And and it's always interested me over the last couple of political seasons that all of a sudden I'll get an email from someone who is visiting, or sometimes our members, Man, pastor, I'd really rather us not get political. I'm like, wait, I preached out of the Bible. The Bible didn't change, the political lines changed. The more they pass laws and encroach on things that the Bible talks about, the more a message from the Bible is going to become political. But remember, God's Word is a special revelation to you and me on how we should live our lives, how we should be in relationship with other people, so that we can have the maximum amount of human flourishing. And that's the desire. So guys, when you think about it, here's what he says, verse 25, but the Word of the Lord stands Forever. Guys, I won't stand forever, but God's Word will. I won't be able to preach forever, but God's Word will. And it is what ultimately matters, and this Word is what is preached to you. So when you're standing and sitting at the feet of someone, whether it's in a life group or a home group or somewhere else, or you're just listening to a podcast, make sure whoever you're listening to, man, they are teaching out of God's Word because ultimately it is what lasts. all right let me so that's what is what is revelation it is God revealing himself two sources general revelation, special revelation general revelation, the universe, God's creation uh, and their conscience. Special revelation Jesus Christ we don't get the opportunity to meet him physically but that was 33 years of special revelation of God revealing himself through a man, Jesus Christ, who is fully God and fully man, but also then what you and I get to hold on to day by day and give to our kids, which is special revelation of the Bible. So here's the second question. How did we get these 66 books in the Bible? You you heard uh, Frank Turek reference, uh, the guy just kind of said, well, uh, man, how did we decide 300 years later, after the New Testament, at the councils, what was going to be in the Bible. And remember, Frank said, no, 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 they didn't do that. They just affirmed what was considered the 66 books. They didn't write the Bible. A lot of times say, well, the Bible was written 300 years after Jesus. It wasn't. All of the documents we look at were written by, either by eyewitnesses or people who are in the moment or people who are close associates, I'm going to show you this here in a second, of those who were eyewitnesses. So when someone comes to you and says, well, the Bible was written, or the New Testament was written 300 years after the time of Jesus, what they're referring to is a church council, a group like us who came together because people were trying to eject certain uh, parts of the Bible. They were trying to say, well, we we don't really want what Paul said to the Corinthians to apply to our church, so let's get rid of it. So they brought all these church leaders in and they said, all right, Here's what we're going to affirm, and we're going to tell everybody in every church everywhere, these are the books of the Bible. That's it. But we also know by 300 years after Jesus, there were a bunch of false teachers. How many of you know what false teachers are? But they weren't just false teachers, they were false writers. By 300 years after uh, Jesus, uh, there were people who were just pretending to be John and writing another book or there was somebody that was pretending to be Ezra in writing another book, and they were just pretending to be certain people, and they were writing with the fake name. And so part of what the council came together from is said, listen, we're going to eject that book, that book, that book, because it doesn't date back to an apostle or a disciple or one of their close associates. So if someone comes to you and says, man, you know, the Bible wasn't written until 300 years. After. No, no, that's when the council came together and said, get rid of that, get rid of that, get rid of that. It was this, these 66 books of the Bible from the Old Testament to the New Testament. So uh, then the question becomes, how do we get the 66 books? Something called canon. You ever heard of somebody referred to the Bible as the canon of Scripture? If you want to just write this down or make note of this, that word canon simply means the measuring rod what is the measuring rod? And the canon of scripture means that when the councils got together, they set forth a measuring rod and they took every book that was written in the New Testament. They, and by the way, and we're going to talk about this here in a second, may not share much more. By the time of Jesus, the Old Testament had been settled by the Jews. As a matter of fact, if you wonder, by the time of Jesus, not only had the Old Testament been settled by the Jews, by the time of Jesus, it had already been translated from Hebrew to Greek in what we refer to as a Septuagint. So if someone says, well, the Old Testament was added to and taken away from, no, it wasn't. By the time of Jesus, the Old Testament was settled by the Jews, not by Jesus. It was not only settled by the Jews as Old Testament Scripture it was translated into Greek in what we refer to as a Septuagint. So by the time Jesus shows up, He actually had a copy of the Greek Septuagint as well as the Hebrew Old Testament. So then the real question for the councils was what are we going to consider as the New Testament books or the New Testament canon? And they put together a measuring rod that every book had to be measured And if it didn't measure up to this, it was thrown away. Now, I I don't know about you. I I could write, well, somebody could write. AI could write a, a decent book today. But it can never be in the Bible because it can never measure up. Does that make sense? We can write. I mean, go read Christian authors. There are some incredible Christian authors out there that I love to read. But nothing they write, it doesn't matter how inspired they seem to be, how passionate they seem to be, how much it moves you or compels you, nothing will ever measure up. The canon has been settled. So make sure you don't ever think that anything you read is equal with Scripture. Scripture surpasses it all. Even, let me just tell you this, if you have a Bible that has study notes, guys, don't ever think those study notes are the inspired Word of God. Those are written by fallible men and fallible people who have opinions just like I do. It's God's Word that is ultimately, if you think the canon, it is measured up. And if, the, and if a book didn't measure up, then it was ejected. And so let me just kind of give you a couple thoughts. What were some of the criteria for the Old Testament? Uh, it was settled by the old by the time Jesus showed up. The Jews affirmed it. Now, if you look at um, the Hebrew Old Testament, we'll refer to the Old Testament. The numbering is a little different. Uh, like how, in the Bible that you and I have, just for it to be easier to read, you'll see a first and second Samuel. If you look in the Hebrew Old Testament, it just says Samuel. You see, first and second Kings in our Bible, they just in the Old Testament just says the King's New Testament. Um, for it to be considered part of the measuring rod or the canon, it had to have been written by an apostle or a disciple or a close companion of one of those people. So, how did they decide what was part of the, me- the measuring rod? You might just want to write these down. There were really five. All right, number one. It's authority. Did it have authority when they were measuring the books, the, uh, the books of the New Testament? Did it have authority? Was it spoken to? Did, was it, did it seem to be written by God? And was there something in it that says, Thus saith the Lord? Number two, apostolicity. That's what they referred to it. Was it written by a disciple, apostle, or someone close to him? Was it written by Matthew, John, Peter, or Paul, or somebody very close to them? The content. Was the content of the book consistent with what was known about Jesus' life and what took place in the book of Acts? Was the content consistent? Uh, was it inspired or claimed? Did it claim inspiration from God? And then finally, was it utilized? And this was important by the time they got to the third century, part of the measuring rod is they would ask themselves when you go back. To the church in Acts and the early church, was it utilized by the first generation of churches as scripture? Does that make sense? So, if something showed up in the middle of the second century, could it have been utilized by the first generation of churches in the book of Acts? Absolutely not. Does that make sense? So, something could appear. To be written by this person, and by the way, there are a bunch of pseudonyms. People would use certain names. Hey, I'm going to write as Matthew. I'm going to write as this person. Well, they would say, okay, that seems to be, Okay, maybe there's even a thus saith the Lord in there. And maybe there's this in there. Maybe there's that in there. But then they will say, but you know what? As good as this book is, it was not used by the early church. Therefore, it fails to What? meet the measuring rod, the standard. so you had a lot of books that were religious teachings and religious books that did not make it into the Bible. And so as we just continue to ask another question, all right so what did it what happened? Anybody ever ask yourself the question why do we have 66 books in our Bible? Who in here grew up Catholic? Anybody grew up Catholic? And you ever wondered why are there other books in the Catholic Bible? Let me go ahead and address that so you'll understand why that is. So remember, a lot of these books that didn't measure up got set to the side. All right? They got set to the side. But over the year, the, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, as it developed, it started using some of those other books, it started using some of those other books, especially the ones that talked about, you know, uh, uh, penance and, and, and maybe even later in the years that talked about places like purgatory and different things. They, they started using a lot of those teachings because remember, part of the measuring rod is was it consistent with all the other teachings of God's word? And so what took place is by the time of the Reformation, when Martin Luther nailed the 95 Thesis on the door of the church to reject so many of the practices of the Catholic Church, he said, man, I'm against this, and I'm against this, and I'm against this, and this isn't found in Scripture, and this isn't found in Scripture. And listen to this very clearly. Go check this historically. Historically. Martin Luther was absolutely right. There were only 66 books in the Bible. And what, what the problem was with the Catholic Church is they had moved from accepting the authority. They had three sources of authority or a couple of different sources of authority. They had Scripture as a source of authority. A lot of these other writings and teachings as a source of authority and church tradition church tradition. What they did is they brought church tradition up as equally valid as Scripture. So Martin Luther, when he started and the other Reformers, what they began to do was reject teachings of the Roman Catholic Church that were not consistent with Scripture. Now remember, when the Reformation started, the Roman Catholic Church and the Reformers only had 66 books in their Bible. Well, once the Reformation was clear, and it wasn't just a one-off deal from this dude named Martin Luther, and the church was splitting, the Catholic Church had a problem. And what was the problem? is all these reformers were sitting here with these 66 books of the Bible saying, workspace salvation ain't in there. Purgatory's not in there. Giving alms to buy Uncle Billy Bob out of purgatory, it's not in there. And they had no response. So in the Council of Trent, go look this up. About 35 years after Martin Luther nailed the 95 Theses on the door of the church, the Roman Catholic Church held what was referred to as the Council of Trent and added a bunch of questionable books to their canon. Do you understand what just happened? The biggest attack by the Reformers on the Catholic Church is, hang on, And by the way, when when Martin Luther was referred to as a a reformer, he didn't want to leave the church. He wanted to reform the church. He didn't want to leave the church. He wanted to fix it. And what he did is he wrote down, he goes, none of these are in the Bible. They're all in church tradition. These things I have problems with are church tradition or what the Pope says. He has the authority to forgive sins. Well, guess what? You could find some non-canonical writings that said the Pope had that kind of authority. And so Martin Luther said, Look, he's a sinner, and if he's not forgiven sins, he's a coward, all right? He's a crook. And so the response of the Roman Catholic Church was to take a bunch of these other books and add them into their canon. Does that make sense? Because they were faced with a choice either change their practice or add to the Bible. What did they choose? the wrong answer that's why if you go and you open up a catholic bible you will see other books in there because they were faced with a legitimate problem the reformers were saying show us where the pope has the authority to forgive sins show us where there's something called purgatory show us where it says mary was a virgin the rest of her life and they would say oh right over there and they would say but wait these 66 books of the bible and you keep referencing those books does that make sense so i don't want you to be confused when someone says hey that's really what happened it was their response to a legitimate concern by the protestant reformations and protestant reformation so the protestants what we all are if you're methodist lutheran uh, non-denominational whatever you are basically you have 66 books goes all the way back to the third century in the first council who said these are the churches uh, these are the books we accept catholics added in the 1500 these other books as a response to the Reformation, so as you just journey through, let me just give you a quick thought. Uh, so, Roman Catholics have three sources of authority: sixty-six books of the Old and New Testament, uh, what is referred to as, as the Apocrypha; those other books they added about fourteen or fifteen other books that are that are of doubtful authenticity or authority, and and church tradition. Roman Catholics hold to those three things as their source of authority. Um, The Eastern Orthodox or the Greek Orthodox broke away from Rome. They have two sources of authority. They rejected the Apocrypha. So if you go over to Greek Orthodox or Eastern Orthodox, they only have the same 66 books that you and I have in the Bible. But what they did add is they added the reality, much like Catholics, that they are the ones who hold the keys to interpreting Scripture. Which means what? Church tradition. Their church tradition. Protestants should have one source of authority. And it's not the deacons. (laughs) It's God's Word. Sixty-six books. Written over 1,600 years by 40 different authors on three different continents, in three different language, with one theme, one problem, and one hero, and one answer. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through that's what god's word says and that's what we hold on to let's pray god thank you so much for this day god thank you for the opportunity just to hang out with these guys and encourage them along the way god we can trust your word we can believe in your word and all we do today let us honor and glorify you along the way in jesus name we pray amen and amen all right Now, here's what I want to do. I know some of you have to leave. Why are there discrepancies in the manuscripts? All right, Those that you have to go, you have to go. Let me tell you why. Remember, oh, some of y'all are going to stay. Good. All right. I just felt like I needed to shut that down for those who need to leave. If you go, if you and I wanted to make a copy of something, what would we do? We would put it on a scanner, right? And we'd make an exact photocopy. Remember, they didn't have that in the Old Testament times. They didn't even have that in the early New Testament times. If Paul wrote a letter, he would deliver it to the church at Corinth. The church in Corinth would then have people that would begin to write those letters down, right? They would have to go word for word. How many of you have ever tried to write something down word for word, dot for dot, and everything? All right. So that's how you get, and even in the Old Testament, literally hundreds, just FY, if you want to know how many manuscripts we have of the Old Testament, over 14,000 manuscripts of the Old Testament. Many others are gone, by the way. So, what you will have from time to time is a scribal error, which is a scribal mistake. Does that make sense? A scribe is sitting there looking here, going there, looking here, going there, looking here, going there. Every once in a while, you will have. A jot or tittle, that's what we refer to those kind of the the little marks, put in the wrong place, or you will have somebody that will read something and they will put in the wrong number. Does that make sense? You say, then how do we know what was in the original manuscript? Here's the problem. There was no little blue mark or red stamp at the top that said original manuscript. What you had is you have 14,000 other manuscripts that you compare each other to. So let's say that one of uh, one of the manuscripts, let's say you got 14,000 manuscripts that say John Mark went to the store for coffee. So of those 14,000 manuscripts, let's say 10,500 say John Mark went to the store for coffee and then you've got 300 manuscripts not from this group but if you go somewhere over here these two scribes said john mark went to the store for coffee and donuts all right and then all of a sudden we know these guys shared manuscripts with these guys and guess what it says john mark went to the store for coffee and donuts and guess what here's what we know is John Mark may have gotten donuts, but probably not, he's healthy. But then when we know to these folks, all right, that they shared their manuscript with those those scribes and 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 those scribes. By the way, that's the way scribes worked. All of a sudden, all the other scribes have manuscripts that say John Mark went to the store for coffee, and we've got two little scribal groups that added donuts. What do we know? He went for the, to the store for coffee. He might have picked up a donut. But guess what? You've got these 14,000 handwritten manuscripts that have a little difference. So if someone says, What about all the mistakes in the Bible? You can find that kind of stuff, but if you've got 14,000 copies, it is real easy for textual critics to figure out what was the original statement, because you can track these manuscripts down to places, and you can see, oh, here we are, one scribe kind of said his thing. Does that make sense? You can see some of the same stuff in the New Testament. We have over five thousand manuscripts in the New Testament, and they do the same thing. It's called textual criticism. You lay all the text that are there. Remember, no one had a Kinkos. They had to go, and they had to write them down, and then they translate them. Then you come into the New Testament, by the way, and here's what happens. Some in the New Testament is remember I told you the Old Testament was settled by the time of Jesus it had already been translated into the Greek called the Septuagint. There are some in the New Testament who actually quote out of the Septuagint. Does that make sense? So when someone says, aren't there a ton of errors? There are a lot. There are a lot. But not one changes one thing about the problem, sin, the hero, the Messiah, and the ultimate Savior, Jesus Christ. Not one. Not one changes a thing. You can find a clump of manuscripts that instead of like all the other ones say seven, it says 70. That's a real easy mistake to make. Can you imagine the guy by candlelight dozing off every once in a while? All right. But I also want you to know, I, I, especially when it comes to the Old Testament scribes, those dudes took their job seriously those dudes took their job seriously there were times that they would work over a full manuscript can you imagine i mean literally a day over a full manuscript. and some the, the head scribe would come in and say no there are not just 30 letters and there was kind of they had lines and they had it all had to be perfect and they would eject it and so what we know is some of the early earliest manuscripts called papyri they um, uh, they basically disintegrated early but if you haven't looked at what was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls lately everybody would come back and say oh all that stuff in the Old Testament it's not so true go look at the Dead Sea basically when they fed, found the Dead Sea Scrolls dates back literally so long full pretty much the full book of Isaiah written exactly as you and I have it in God's Word. So all the people who say, man, the Bible was added to later, the Bible was put together later, well, look, you don't even you can't even uh, tell uh, how many books, or so there's 66 books, or other books of the Bible. That's how there's so many mistakes in the Bible, if you want to put it that way. And I would say they're not mistakes, what they are is scribal errors, scribal errors. Does that make sense? All right. So it's, But it's very easy for people to determine what the original manuscript said. You guys have a great day. See y'all.
0: Thanks for listening to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.